All right, I'm on. Not used to wearing this thing. <clears throat> well, uh, welcome to FCC uh, this morning. I'm glad you're here. Um, if you're new, I don't know if anyone mentioned this, but we'd love to meet you. We've got a welcome center out where we'd love to give you a gift for you, and, and if you have kids, we have a gift for them as well. well we've been in a four-week series called What's Your Excuse? Uh, with the book of Jonah. And uh, today's message is Don't Be a Jonah. Uh, so hopefully, if your name is Jonah, you're not offended by that, but the biblical Jonah, the biblical Jonah is less than uh, an ideal um, role model. So uh, Don't Be a Jonah. We're going to be in Jonah 4 today, so if you want to open your Bibles and turn there with me. And while you're doing that, I'm just going to recap the book of Jonah real quick. Uh, Greg did a nice first-person sermon a couple weeks ago. He's gone this morning. Him and his family are celebrating in Tennessee. They had some awesome stuff happen over the weekend. Um, but yeah, the, the prophet Jonah was a, a, a prophet to the Jews. And um, in, in the first chapter, we learn that he was called and challenged to go uh, and seek repentance uh, for the Ninevites, to go preach to the Ninevites for they might... Uh, repent. And the Ninevites, um, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, which was uh, the Assyrian Empire. They had conquered the Jews. So um, the relationship between Jonah and the Jews and the Assyrians was not, uh, not too, too good. Um, Jonah, instead of doing that, decides to flee God's presence. He runs away. Um, we're going to learn a little bit why this morning. Um, and then, but our God and his grace and mercy uh, chased after Jonah. And with a little bit of uh, discipline uh, from a fish, he decided to go and preach to the Ninevites anyway. Um, so that's kind of where we left off. The Ninevites ended up repenting, um, they, uh, all of them, even the king. And that's where we left off last week. So starting in uh, chapter 4, starting in verse 1, I'm going to read, and we're going to dive in. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said, Do you have a good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when, when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head. So that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have a good reason to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, I have good reason to be angry, even unto death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant, for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there were more than 120,000 people, who did not know the difference between their right and left hands, as well as many animals. Will you pray with me this morning? Father God, we're thankful to be in your presence this morning uh, for the freedom to, to gather together and to read and wrestle with your word. We pray that your spirit would be moving in our hearts, that um, the work that, that your spirit has been doing in our lives um, would continue this morning and move us more to look like you. We pray um, that this passage would convict us. Uh, there's a lot of hard stuff in here. Uh, 
pray that you would give us the strength to listen and to do something about it. Lord, I pray for humility for myself. I pray that uh, anything that's from you would, would take root in our hearts and anything that's not would fall to the ground. We love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, so taking a, just a, a verse step back, we're going to move back to uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 10. And Jonah had, had preached to the Ninevites. They had repented, and this was God's response to their repentance. When God saw their deeds, that they turned away, uh, turned from their wicked way, then God relented considering the calamity which he had declared and would not bring it upon them. He did not do it. So God forgives the Ninevites. And here's Jonah's response to that starting in verse 1 of chapter 4. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And this is where we start. Our first issue that we're going to wrestle with this morning regarding Jonah is the issue of anger. Now, this is one of the, of, of the four things we're going to talk about this morning. This is one of the lesser. Anger in and of itself is not a sin. But we read here, the Hebrew word right here literally means that Jonah was inflamed, that he was burning with anger, that it was consuming him. And so we're not going to go too deeply in, into anger for, for another reason. We took a survey back in February, 400 of us here at, at FCC, and we learned that the, the number one thing, the number one struggle, sin that we wrestle with as a congregation is anger. I believe it's uh, upwards of 50% of us um, said we struggle with anger. And so we're going to tackle that in a series next month. But for now, anger is kind of the gateway to the rest of, of the things that, that Jonah wrestles with in this chapter. And uh, I'll just leave you with, with Paul's encouraging words in, in Ephesians 4. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not give the devil a foothold. And we'll leave anger at that for this morning, although it's going to get worse. So um, a little bit about me. I, I grew up uh, as, as a nerd child. Uh, part of that's due to my dad. Um, he loves uh, Star Trek and Star Wars and all those kind of things. He's sitting right there, so he gets to listen to this. Um, but one of my favorite things to do was just to watch those kind of shows with my dad growing up. Uh, and uh, I ended up getting a bunch of Lego sets and playing with a bunch of Lego sets. Star Wars was my, my absolute favorite. And um, I had all the little figures lined up, and I'd set all the battle droids up and take them down with lightsabers and stuff. And, um, but my, one of my favorite uh, characters in the Star Wars uh, trilogy, and I think anyone who likes Star Wars probably would agree, is, is the character of Yoda, um, the old wise uh, sage Yoda, and uh, this was kind of in hindsight after preparing this message, but I realized that one of his quotes really fit the direction of this, this message, and, and here it is. This is from episode one, which I actually like, some people don't, um, and he says this, fear, he's talking to Anakin, who becomes a bad guy, um, fear is the path to the dark side, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate, hate leads to suffering. I tried to practice in my Yoda voice, but it didn't work out. So, um, But fear leads to anger, and that's where Jonah was at. But anger leads to hate, and hate leads to suffering, and that's where we're headed. And so this, the second issue this morning that we're going to talk about is hatred. And this is really prevalent in Jonah, whether we've ever known that or not. But starting, starting in, in verse 2 of chapter 4, I read, Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord. Was, this not, uh, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, 
and one who relents concerning calamity. And so we see here a picture of Jonah who, who knew the character and the goodness and the love and the grace of God. And yet the reason we learn here, the reason why he fled back in chapter 1 was because he hated the Assyrians. I'm sure there was some fear in there. Fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate. But at the heart of it, he did not want the Assyrians to receive the grace of God. There's a show out um, recently, I think it's uh, two seasons out there. I've heard about it, I've heard it's really good. It's called uh, The Man in the High Castle. Uh, I can't recommend it because I haven't seen it and I don't know if it's appropriate, but it is uh, a fictional imag imagining of what would have happened if the, the Nazis would have won uh, World War II. And it's, it's set where the Japanese control half of America and, and the Germans control the other half. And um, th that is kind of the context that Jonah's in. The, the Jews were consistently being conquered by the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Romans. So all they knew was being oppressed. And that was the core, the seed of this hatred. So we can't fully understand that because we've never experienced that ourselves here in America. But I do think that we can relate in certain ways. Another modern day kind of idea would be, be if ISIS took over. In fact, those who, who are living under ISIS' thumb in the Middle East right now would probably have fresh reading of Jonah knowing the hatred that he showed for the Assyrians. But what about us? At the core of everything in Jonah's hatred was the idea of they and them. They and them. It's the, it's the they's, the, Assy the Assyrians. They are terrible and they, they don't deserve your grace. I hate them. It's the idea of separating a people group or or someone or something from, other than yourself and saying that they or them don't deserve the grace of God. And that's what Jonah was doing. So what might that look like for us? Well, I mentioned ISIS. They're a big they. There's a lot of people that hate ISIS. Or maybe we want to get political. We could look at conservatives, Republicans, those who may or may not support Trump, but many of you probably think that those people who support Trump, are, are, they are ruining the country. Their policies are, are making our country go down the toilet. Or maybe you're on the opposite side of that, where you're a liberal or a Democrat, and, and, and conservative policies, man, they're just ruining everything right now. Well, whatever political spectrum you're on. Or maybe, maybe it's class. Maybe, maybe it's someone... Who is, who's more poor than you, and maybe you don't hate them, but maybe there's a chance that you just don't like hanging out with poor people. It may, they make you feel un uncomfortable, people who are different than you. So it's, not a, it's, it's less of a hatred, but it's more of a pity or uncomfortability, but it's, I don't like them. They, they're, they're odd, or they're different from me. Or maybe it's, it's the upper class, those who are, are well, more well-off, and maybe you're not, and so you look at them, and you're man, they have so much money and I just don't like them. They, the way they hold themselves and the way they go about their lives, their perfect lives, I don't like them. Or maybe, just with current events going on, maybe it's, it's race. With all the, the racial protests going on and, and the turmoil down in the South, but really everywhere, 
that we've been facing the last couple of years, the root of racism is they and them. You know, and we're responsible for it. As America, we, we're the ones who pushed this. We said, they are less than human. They don't deserve the same rights. We don't like them. They serve us. And that's the root of, of so much division and so much brokenness in this world. So I just want to set the record straight. There, in the kingdom of God, there are no theys. In the kingdom of God, there are no thems. There are no social group theys. There's no cultures who are thems or theys. There are no races who are theys in the kingdom of God. There are no economic theys. There are no political theys. There are no generational thems. There are no theys in the kingdom of God. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, one of my favorite, most challenging passages, starting in verse 43. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. At the end of the day, Jesus calls us to love our enemies. Notice the qualification here is that if you love your enemies, then you are children of your Father in heaven. The reverse of that would be if you fail to love those who are the theys, you are not reflecting your identity as a child of God. So who are the theys and the thems in your life? The reality is that either everyone is, is, is your neighbor who are called to love, or everyone, is your, everyone else is your enemy who you're called to love. There is no theys. Jesus loved his neighbor and died for his enemies. So as Christians, those who claim Christ we don't have a choice. We love the theys. And we invite the theys into our lives. The next issue is the issue of complaining. I read starting in verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. This is Jonah throwing a pity party. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. So he didn't even respond to the Lord. He just went out and pouted outside of the city. He made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen to the city. So he's waiting. He's still hoping that God will destroy this city. So the Lord God, in his grace and mercy, appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be shade over his head to deliver him from discomfort. Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. What a weird, weird sentence. Um, but God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head. He became faint. And he begged with all of his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. And so, again, this idea of complaining. As I was praying through this and, and reading through this, I just felt like I needed to hit on this because I think as Christians in, in the wealthiest nation in the world, we complain way too much. Instead of experiencing the goodness of God and 
in the moment. Jonah, instead of experiencing the goodness of the plant and thanking God for it, he just took it for granted. And then when it went away, he got upset about it. He even, it doesn't even say that he acknowledged it was from God. He just, oh, there's a plant, thanks. Like, that's awesome. But then when it went away, we just see him complaining. And then in his hatred, he, he's even complaining that well, I'd rather die than, than do all of this. I'd rather die than, than, than view this, than not see them destroyed. And so we, we see this, this pity party kind of idea coming from Jonah. And so how often do we act like Jonah? We have so much in this country, things that are good, that, that are blessings, but how many times do we take those things for granted? We forget that God's the one who gave us that metaphorical plant in our life. How many times do we forget the goodness of God and we miss it because we're too absorbed in ourselves, in the things of this world, in our desires, in the next best thing? And so what plants are you missing in your life? What things, what blessings, what plants that God has put in your life have you been taking for granted? And when they go away, which every plant dies. When they go away, are you going to be like Jonah and complain about it? Or are you going to acknowledge the goodness of God regardless of your situation? Jesus had every reason to complain. He spent 40 days in the desert for temptation. He was led out there, fasted, faced physical starvation and temptation, and he didn't complain. He faced the cross, one of the most grueling experiences anyone could have ever experienced. And yet he did not complain. At the root of all complaining is a lack of perspective and thankfulness for who God is and what he has done. So I pray that we learn to not be like Jonah. We learn to be thankful. And that leads us to the last of the four. And really, this is probably the core of, of all of these. The core of anger, hatred, complaining, and it's pride. Starting in verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, I have good reason to be angry, even unto death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant, for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know the difference between their right and left hand as well as many animals? I think it's kind of funny that, that, that God ends that phrase, as well as many animals. I think he's He's kind of making fun of Jonah and giving him a hard time because Jonah is missing the entire point of the Ninevites coming to repentance and the joyous occasion that would be. And, and God's like, by the way, I have compassion even on the animals. That's how good our God is. Jonah was so consumed with his own opinions, his, his own preferences, his own biases that he missed the goodness of what God has done. He's not celebrating He's not aligned with God's purposes. He is counter to it. And now, luckily, our God is good. Our God works in spite of our sin and our disobedience. But 
I can't help but, but wonder and ask the question, how much more could God have done with a willing and submitted Jonah? How much more could God have done with a willing and submitted Jonah throughout the entire story? At the very least, Jonah would have actually had some fun and some joy and enjoyed it. But I believe he, he could have done so much more. And he already did amazing things through Jonah despite his disobedience. But Jonah drowned himself in his selfishness. He, he became so self-absorbed with his feelings and the things that he thought were supposed to happen that he missed everything that God was doing. So how can we not make the same mistakes as Jonah? How can we be willing and submitted to God? How could God use us more? So I ask, are you in the way of God's purposes? Is your pride or your anger, is your biases, are they in the way of something God is calling you towards? What presuppositions, what biases, what preferences, what opinions, what attitudes do you need to lay down this morning? We all have them. Whether it's the theys or the bad attitudes or the hatred or the complaining, we all have them. What is it that you need to lay down? So those are the four things. Don't be a Jonah. Don't be a Jonah. The reality is, though, is that we're all Jonas. We all fall short. We all struggle with these things. But we have a choice. We have a choice. I love how the book of Jonah ends. It ends with God saying, why should I not have compassion on the Ninevites and their animals? And that's it. We don't hear Jonah's response. It's kind of a cliffhanger. You know, one of, my, one of my favorite movies I haven't watched in a while, I'm going to have to after this weekend, but Monty Python on the Quest for the Holy Grail. And for those of you who have seen it, um, it's a hilarious movie. It's, I mean, I like it. Some people hate it, but um, it ends just like abruptly. It's like, oh, what? What just happened? It's like, there's like, you think it's going to be the climax of the movie, and then I won't ruin it. Go watch it. But it just ends abruptly, and that's how the, the book of Jonah ends. And so we're left with a choice. What, what are we going to be? Are we going to be like Jonah? Or as I would say this morning, don't be a Jonah, be a Jesus. Don't be a Jonah, be a Jesus. And so we read all throughout Scripture, but I'm going to just point out a few things, that we are called to be like Jesus. We are called to live like Jesus. And not only are we called to do that, but it is possible to live and look like Jesus. I think one of the biggest lies that we believe is like, well, Jesus was God. I can't be like him. But that's not true. Jesus was God, but he was fully human. He lived our lives facing every temptation, and he set the example for us to live like him. And we have the same spirit as Romans 8 talks about in us as he had in him. We're called to imitate him. We're called to walk like him. So how can we look more like Jesus? There's a, a Puritan from the 1700s. His name's John Owen. And he says this, If you don't kill your sin, it will kill you. 
If you don't kill your sin, it will kill you. Jonah did not kill his sin. Even in the fish. I wonder if it's really true repentance if it takes a fish to make you repent. And clearly he was not changed afterwards. Maybe temporarily, but long term he he was not more Christ-like. And so what can we do? What actions can we take to be more like Jesus? I have four things that I want to leave you with this morning. The first is wrestle with God. One of, the, one of the few things that I can say good about Jonah, which is very obscure, but back in verse 2, it says this. He prayed to the Lord and said. He prayed to the Lord and said. And then he goes on, he's like, I knew you were good, but I ran away from you because I didn't want these Syrians, because I hate them so much. But even in that statement, he prayed to the Lord. He was wrestling with God in the midst of his sinful thoughts and attitudes. He was still engaged in relationship. And we see this all throughout Scripture. We see this throughout the Psalms when King David will wrestle with God. We see this literally, Jacob wrestling with God in the Old Testament. We see in Job and all the thing, terrible things that happened to him and, and he points his finger at God and he wrestles in, in faithful relationship with God. And that's what we're called to do. So even when we're sinful, to bring it into the, the realm of our relationship with God and wrestle with him with all of its rawness, that is what we're called to do. So wrestle with God. The second one is forgive. This is common, but if Jonah could have just forgiven the Assyrians, then we wouldn't have the book of Jonah. Or it would be much shorter, at least. It would have gone, yay, they repent, over. If Jonah would have just forgiven the Assyrians, but he could not. And so who do you need to forgive this morning. I'm not going to say much else. I'm just going to read the scripture that we all hate, which is Matthew 6, verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That is not a fun verse. So I'm here this morning to tell you that if you have anything against a brother or sister or, or even your enemies, it is time to forgive them or to ask for the strength and the courage to try. Who this morning, what theys, what thems, what individuals do you need to forgive? The third, the third thing this morning, practically speaking, go serve. It's really, really hard to be angry at, hate, complain about, or be self-righteous towards those you serve selflessly. And so I don't know who your theys are, I don't know what's going on in your life, but if you are uncomfortable around poor people, or people who are less well-off. You should serve them. We have, we have a benevolence pantry that, that hands out food, and, and we're, there's some neat things going on over there, but if you're uncomfortable around those kind of people, that's sin, if, if you're reactionary in that way. So, so go, be proactive. Spend time with them. If, if you have a problem with people who are, are more well-off than you, have them over for dinner. Engage in a relationship. If you, if you don't like Republicans, do something nice for them or have them over to your dinner table. It's really hard to hate someone when you're having dinner with them. Same thing for Democrats. I'm not, go back and forth. You know, invite them both to the table. But whoever it is, whatever your theys are, serve them. Be creative. We're humans. We're made to be creative. And the last thing, 
The last thing is deny yourself. And this is probably the, the biggest thing. If we truly believe that we're not our own, that we were bought at a price, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, then we need to choose to deny ourselves. Luke 9, this is Jesus speaking in verse 23. He said to all his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. If you claim to be a disciple of Christ, you must deny yourself daily, take up your cross and follow him. And it's a journey, it's a process. No one is perfect now, no one will be perfect. But if you're not trying You need to start if you claim Christ. And it may just start with saying no. Saying no to the small things. Saying no to the things that tempt you. Because the more you say no to one thing, the more when God asks you to do something that you don't want to do, you'll be able to say no to your desires and yes to his. And so don't be a Jonah. Be a Jesus. Don't be a Jonah. Be a Jesus. My prayer for us this morning is that through the negative example of Jonah, and I believe he'll be you know, in heaven with us and we'll get to have conversations and he'll be, he'll be able to say, I was such a dummy, you know, but don't use his example and actually live it out. Take our Savior and our Lord who embodies the fullness of the gospel, the love for neighbor and enemies and live that life. Strive for that example. That's my prayer for us this morning. Would you bow your heads? Lord, we are so thankful for who you are and what you've done. We, we pray for forgiveness for all the things that we've done out of our flesh, out of our sinful nature, out of our, our selfishness, our, our anger, our hatred, the things that drive us and drive others away, Lord, those, those who we've labeled as they's and them's, Lord, I pray and I confess, me and all of us, that we have sinned, we've fallen short, we do that. But Lord, may your spirit enter into our hearts transform us, give us the strength to do what we need to, to take the next steps to look like you. Lord, I don't know what you've put on all of our individual hearts, but I, I just pray that you, you would continue to convict. Lord, I pray that we would look more and more like you, not because it's legalistic and we, we need to, but because looking more like you means more joy and more happiness and more abundant life for us and for our families and for the world because you are life, you are the source of life, and when we love and look like you, we radiate life to the world around us. We love you. We pray all of these things. We pray in the power of your spirit that you would change us, transform us into the likeness of your son. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.